Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to the Chicago Audible Podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up to date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to the 350th episode of the Chicago Audible Podcast. I'm your host, Wildewit. I want to thank you for tuning in this week. 350 episodes is quite the accomplishment, one that we'd never reach if not for your strong support throughout the years. So for that, I just wanted to start off the show by thanking each and every one of you. Now, today's show is a little bit different, as there is no Brandon, nor Nick, And if you must know, they are working hard for our free agency preview show that we'll record on Monday. So what's on today's agenda? Well, I'm glad you asked. First, I'm going to share an interview that I had with author Robert Peters, who recently released an in-depth analysis on the 2018 Chicago Bears offense. And afterwards, I'm going to sit down with two guys who always put in great work on our blog and website. They're our draft gurus. And I'll be having an insightful conversation with them on their takeaways from the 2019 NFL Combine. So we have plenty to get to. So without another moment, let's go ahead and dive into my conversation with Robert Peters on his book, The 2018 Chicago Bears Complete Offensive Manual. Hey, Robert, I want to thank you again for taking the time out to talk about your new book. I want to know, how's it going? And number two, can I still call you Bobby? Yeah, Bobby is good. Bobby is actually the uh, on the cover of the book. I've got Bobby as my as my name for the author. So uh, to avoid any uh, miscommunication there, that's, uh, if anyone wants to, you know, if they're trying to find the book, it's, uh, it's, it's Bobby Peters on the front cover. So to alleviate any confusion there. There we go. Yeah. I was like, I was telling you just a few minutes before we uh, settled down to start recording. I was a little confused on which way I should take your name, but Bobby, it is. But you ready to talk about the Chicago Bears offense? Absolutely. All right. So I just want to know, after doing your research on that Bears offense for 2018, how would you assess the play call as a whole? Uh, Do you believe that Matt Nagy was simplifying some things for Mitch Trubisky? So as far as the simplification goes, at times that was definitely the case, um, especially when Mitch would struggle. Um, you know, kind of taking a step back to that, the first part of your question, you know, just assessing the play calling as a whole. I think Matt Nagy did an awesome job as a play caller in 2018. And by, by that, I mean pushing the right buttons at the right time. There were games um, like the Tampa, Tampa Bay game, for instance, where he had a great game plan and Mitch was comfortable with it. So he just kept dialing up shot after shot downfield and against what Tampa was doing, it worked perfectly. And then if you fast forward, you know, to week 14 against the Rams, you know, that was a classic case of where Mitch struggled in the beginning of the game. And I'm sure, I'm sure coach Nagy had, you know, similar shots built in, you know, every game plan he's got shots built in, but you know, that game, because it didn't start off the way he wanted to, he adapted and then um, one drive specifically in the third quarter where they utilized uh, a specific RPO concept to move the ball down the field and eventually hit Bradley soul uh, in the, in the end zone for a touchdown on the infamous Santos play play. Um, That was, that was, that drive was a classic example of Matt Nagy adapting his play calling to how his quarterback was playing. Excellent. Yeah. So I'm excited to see how that can of course evolve here in year two uh, but looking back at last year, uh, one of the big emphases uh, that was put on all offseason and the main talking point was the RPO. And it seemed like you really couldn't go 
uh, without a single conversation about Matt Nagy and his offense, without mentioning the RPO at least once. So for all the talk, I'm curious, did they run it as much as you anticipated before breaking down the film? And on top of that, was the RPO a success? So, uh, yes, they certainly used it. Um, they would mix it in with basically, there's few, a few exceptions, um, you know, with maybe, you know, with the jet sweeps and then uh, drop, you know, traditional draw plays being the, the two main exceptions that pop in my head right now. Um, they would combine the RPO concept with basically every run team they use, both uh, both zone and gap teams. And it did, it did add an element uh, to those run concepts. What it does is it forces the defense to, to, to honor the edge, you know, the receivers on the edge. And if they didn't, then, you know, Mitch was great about making the right reads on, on those concepts in 2018. And if they didn't, if they didn't honor it, then the ball would get to the edge and the bears would typically have a numbers advantage or a leverage advantage, depending on the pass play that they, they called with it uh, to, to pick up a good chunk of yards. So in terms of some like unique trends, what did you find about the bears offense while conducting your research for this book? All right. So, um, so yeah, I, I guess as far as trends go, um, just looking at their most common concepts, two, two just popped in my head as far as the dropback pass game is concerned. One of them is the Hank concept. This concept is a, uh, a staple in the Andy Reid West Coast uh, system. It's you know, something you can see with the Chiefs run. You can see the Eagles with Doug Peterson run it quite often. Um, and obviously Matt Nagy ran it quite often with the Bears uh, this past season. Uh, what it is, it's basically the curl flat concept. The outside receivers run curls. Uh, in most variations, the Bears had multiple variations, but that's probably the more the more common ones. And then uh, flat routes would come from either the tight ends of the running backs or slot receivers. And then, um, you know, if the tight end wasn't running a flat route, typically he would be assigned to run uh, what we call a ball route, where he where he sits down basically five yards over the center um, to, to occupy the middle hook defenders to try to open up the, the curl and the flat routes. And if the defense wouldn't honor him, honor that, then he would be the first read for the quarterback on that, in the, in the progression on that play. So that was one of their most heavily used concepts. And then the, uh, the cover concept uh, that I used for the cover image of the book is probably the most used drop back concept uh, that the bears used this past season. Um, I refer to it in the book as uh, HB read with spot dig. So what that, what that means is the, the halfback out of the backfield will run a, an option route and he'll, he'll typically be the primary on that play. And to the bunch side of the formation, the Bears would call uh, what I refer to as a spot dig concept. So it's, it's your traditional spot concept with a, a flat route, kind of a, an angled hitch route, and then a corner. But instead of the receiver running a corner, uh, the Bears would have him run a dig route. And what this concept does is if, if a defense decided to double team the option route runner, which was typically Tariq Cohen out of the backfield, then the, uh, the spot dig concept would – place uh, the two underneath defenders to the other side of the field that uh, were assigned to, to that side of the field, they, they would be in a, a three-on-two horizontal stretch. So it, it basically gave the quarterback an answer versus any coverage. And it was, a very, it was a very strong concept for the Bears. They averaged, I believe, right around eight yards per play when they called that concept. So it was definitely uh, an efficient one for them to, to call off. All right, a couple of follow-up questions here. Let's go back to the Hank, uh, the curl-flat variation that you mentioned. Uh, I did notice uh, in your book that 31 of the 40 plays were called on Chicago's side of the field. Do you believe there's a particular reason for that? Is it easier to maybe begin a drive and sustain it using this sort of play concept? Uh, what's the difference between uh, using that on your own side of the 50 compared to when you reach uh, enemy territory, as you will? That's a really, that's a, that's a really good question, and my, you know, obviously, uh, you know, without, without, you know, discussing with coach Nagy, I think my, my reasoning for that would be exactly what you said. It's a good, it's a good drive starter. It's a good, all right. You know, we, we typically, you know, in beginning of drives, especially on first and second down, when they would, when they would most call this concept, you're going to get cover three or some variation of single high uh, coverage defense, which the, the hand concept is, is tailor made for. Um, the reason you get those those coverages on those early downs is they're typically, I mean, I know the NFL's changing and it's a passing league more now, now more than ever, but um, those downs uh, from a defensive perspective are, are typically seen as rundowns and, you know, going single high safety, you get that extra run defender in the box. So that's typically when you would see it. And that's typically when the bears would call it. And um, you know, it's, it's a relatively simple read too. And it, it was one that, that Mitch, you know, Mitch consistently went through uh, with a pretty good, he had a pretty good feel for it. So that was, that's probably the reasoning for that. And then, um, you know, too, with that, um, you're just talking on the other side of the 50. So 
Um, it's not a great red zone concept just because you don't have the, the vertical stretch element of it. Or, you know, in the red zone, you're not, you, you know, defenders aren't threatened vertically. So they mm. can, they're more like, they're more likely to sit on the curl routes. And, um, you know, if, if a defense doesn't have much of a vertical threat, they can, they, you know, if they're, if they're able to sit on the curl routes, the, the five underneath the routes aren't, they don't necessarily give the quarterback, uh, you know, a good chance to, to find an open receiver. And another, another element of that too is, you know, before they get into the red zone, especially with an aggressive coach like Matt Nagy, that's a good time to take a shot. And the, uh, the hang concept definitely does not fall into the shot play uh, category. So, you know, anywhere from the, uh, the opponent's 30 to 40, you know, 30 to 45 yard line ish, that those are always a good, that's a good area of the field to take a shot. And um, you know, like I said, the hang concept doesn't really fit into that. So that's probably, you know, a combination of all those things is probably why, um, they called it a majority of the time in their own territory. Now, earlier as well, you talked about Tariq Cohen being the primary option back out of the backfield, which makes a ton of sense on the surface. I'm just curious to your thoughts on the Bears' offense when Jordan Howard is in the game versus a Tariq Cohen. Obviously, uh, just watching the games, it felt like when Howard is out there, uh, they're, it felt like 10 times more likely to run the football compared to when Tariq Cohen is out there, was that as cut and dry as maybe some of those general assumptions maybe? So I don't have the exact split. Uh, I, I didn't do an exact split based uh, uh, breakdown by personnel from that standpoint. But um, when Tariq Cohen was in the game, as far as the passing game is concerned, uh, they they were definitely, the playbook was definitely much more wide open. Um, that, that that concept that I was discussing, that HB read concept, that yeah, I can count on, you know, I think it might be week one against Green Bay. They ran it a few times with Jordan Howard in the fourth quarter. And um, I think Coach Nagy quickly realized that that concept was not for Jordan Howard. And, uh, you know, Tariq Cohen excelled at it throughout the season uh, from there on out. So, um, you know, the, like I said, it, it's clear, you know, with Cohen in the game, it was clearly more wide open. And then um, there's, there was one exception, though. When, when the Bears were in a two-by-two two set in the book, um, they, so that spot dig concept that I was referring to earlier, they would run that out of a two-by-two two set and have the running back run a flat route. Um, and typically they would use Jordan Howard in that, in that role. And that was, on, that was probably the, the, the main way they would use him in the passing game. So I, I don't know if that, if that was an intent to use that one specific concept to break tendencies or you know, if Jordan Howard was comfortable running that route. Um, I, I don't know what the reasoning for that was. But that was really the one where they would feature Howard as, as part of the, of, of the read in a drop back pass sense. But, um, no, I mean, it, that, Every, and then every concept that the Bears use off of the spot dig concept, uh, which, um, you know, different ways to attack down the field, too. Tree Cohen would be in the game there to give the, the, the threat of him being the primary on those plays as well. Interesting. Now, the Bears, of course, last year, they were very good in the red zone. They actually had the sixth best red zone offense in the NFL last season. They're able to punch it in on about two-thirds of their red zone trips. I'm just curious, what kind of insight can you provide us on the concepts used in that green area of the field? Like, what was behind the success in the red zone? So, a couple, uh, three main three main concepts come to my mind as, as you were asking me that. So, the first one is, um, as Bears fans will remember very vividly, um, especially that Santa's play play that I just mentioned uh, earlier, the trick plays that, that the Bears used. If you look, if you, if, if you got the book and you look in that section, you can see how efficient these plays were in the red zone and in on third down situations. Um, and, and, and you can see that that contributes a, a large percentage of it too. You know, coach Nagy, you know, he said in, in many of his post game interviews that they, you know, these are plays they practice for high leverage situations like that. And, um, you know, he had the guts to call them in those situations too. And a majority of the time they worked, you know, I, I off the top of my head, I can't really think of other than the, uh, the play in the wild card game where they motioned Khalil Mack out of the backfield. I believe that's the only trick play that they, that really didn't work for the bears in 2018. Um, so that's number one in my book. Number two, um, the shovel pass. That was a huge play for them on third down. And even, I think they converted a fourth down against Arizona with it as well in the red zone. But um, also, you know, also at the goal line, they, they used that to convert for, for touchdowns as well. So that was another concept. And then number three, their use of uh, what I refer to in the book as man pick plays. Uh, they use a variety of different ways to create picks or rubs against man coverage. And down in the red zone, you, you see it, you know, almost exclusively variations of man or bracket coverage and um, running these plays to, to free up receivers off of one-on-one matchups where you get uh, a receiver picking a, uh, picking a defender, you know, freeing up a receiver that those plays were extremely successful for the bears in the red zone as well. So those are the top three ways that they would create red zone efficiency. 
All right, now let's kind of flip it here because even though the Bears were great in the red zone, they were also very good on third downs last year. What kind of game planning did you see from Matt Nagy uh, that he employed on third down that really enabled his offense to rank 11th in the league on that money down? So in third down situations, the Bears definitely had concepts they would lean on um, on third downs. And those are, you can see through that, throughout the book, those are clear. I, in, for each concept in the book, the, uh, I, have, I, have a, I have a usage chart. It shows you, okay, the Bears called this play X number of times on first down, X number of times on second and long, X number of times on third and short, uh, or in, on uh, second and short, and then X number of times on third down and what their conversion percentage was on third down, as well as their average yards per play for the other situation. Um, going, going throughout the film and, and you know, just looking throughout a big picture throughout the season, one of the biggest reasons they were successful on third downs was Mitch Trubisky's running ability. In, in third and medium to longer situations, when defenses covered up uh, open receivers down the field, he was very quick, uh, very quick and adept at taking off. Um, I think week seven against the Patriots shows a, a few really good examples of that, where everything's covered up and he takes off and they convert a third down that you know most quarterbacks in the NFL wouldn't be able to because they, they don't have the mobility of Trubisky. So that that on third downs, big picture is what jumped out to me um, when studying the film. Now, let's get back to Jordan Howard because we did talk a little bit about him as a receiver. And right now, there's just so much talk surrounding that running back and his future on this football team. So I'm just curious about just a little bit of glimpse of the running game. What worked? What didn't? Uh, did the Bears maybe change their approach throughout the season? Because obviously, they did find more success in the latter part of the year. So the running game was an interesting study. So there's a lot of different aspects to it. Um, like I said in the like I said earlier when we were talking about uh, different parts of the run game um, in the R, in the RPOs discussion, they they used a ton of different schemes to try to get the running game working, especially through the first ten weeks of the season. They they made a conscious effort to okay, this didn't work one week. Now we're going to try this the next week. And uh, you know, a lot of these schemes aren't terribly common throughout the NFL, but they're common more common in college football with teams that run a ton of RPOs and you know, spread offenses, just, you know, being creative with who you're pulling, who you're kicking out, who you're leading through on, um, you know, as far as gap schemes are concerned. And then as well as, you know, having a ton of variation within their zone running schemes too, there was, um, you know, when they, when they got the running game going finally in week 11 against the Vikings, there's this, uh, a variation off the inside zone scheme that I, at that point in the season kind of, kind of propelled the coaching staff to feature inside zone throughout the rest of the season. Um, and, they, and, that, and that's kind of when the Bears, ended up having more success was when they used more zone running and got away from the gap schemes a little bit. Um, but uh, the specific adjustment they used in week 11 that had a ton of success against the Vikings um, on this concept, they called it about six or eight times. It's uh, in my book, I call it, it's titled uh, inside inside zone lock insert. So what that means is um, it's an inside zone scheme where the offensive linemen all block one way um, and they try to get vertically so they can get up to the linebackers quickly the backside guard and tackle, depending de- the backside tackle for sure, um, but the guard kind of depends on how the defensive line aligns. They will block back, and they will block their their uh, the defenders to the gap away from them. And the uh, the tight end or H back, instead of blocking the backside defensive end, will insert insert in that gap, the open gap on the backside, to lead up on a on the weak side linebacker. And this adjustment against the Vikings, they averaged, like I said, they called it about six or eight times. And they averaged over five yards of carry when calling this adjustment. And it just, you know, the offensive line had a, had a, had an easier job of blocking the down linemen. They didn't have to climb up uh, as aggressively to get to speedier linebackers. It allowed Trey Burton. Um, he was the tight end on a majority of the carries when they would call this to climb up and block the weak side linebacker. And, you know, obviously Burton blocking a linebacker, you know, you, you can match, you know, speed for speed a little bit more in, in that sense. And Jordan Howard ran downhill real hard on those plays and he, he hit the whole hard. Um, you know, to pick up, to pick up positive yards. So week 11 was kind of when the run game kind of, you know, shifted toward, towards more of a zone, uh, a zone scheme. Good stuff there, Bobby. Now, one of the themes that Matt Nagy uh, has talked about since the end of the season is throwing out the things that either didn't work or that the guys don't like and installing more that the group does like and what works. So using that as a baseline, what do you believe we should expect less and more of from the Bears offense in 2019? So one, one thing specifically that I discussed uh, towards the end of the book that I think could uh, help out the Bears with one of their concepts that they struggled with is um, the concept is the uh, wide receiver quick screen. 
this this was something that uh, Matt Nagy and, and the, the blocking he brought over from Kansas City. They used to hit Tyreek Hill on these quick screens uh, just to get the ball in his hands uh, to, to the edge real quick. Like the the whole offensive line is you know they're they're reach blocking real hard to that side um, in order to try to get up on linebackers um, and, and any and any secondary defenders that are that are down as well. Um, and just just to you know get get the ball to the edge quick, get defenders moving. Um, and that was a successful play for, for Nagy in Kansas City in 2017, but it, it just didn't work for a variety of reasons for the Bears in 2018. You know, on some concepts, uh, the receiver, you know, whether it be Cohen, Gabriel, uh, Miller, Anthony Miller was the target on a few of them. Um, whether the receiver didn't, you know, wasn't patient enough for, with his blocking or whether on a few occasions Mitch Trubisky made uh, inaccurate throws on, on those passes. Um, one thing I discussed in the book is, is the Bears had no double moves off of that action, really. And having a double move like a screen and go um, or even a double pass off of that, if they call it from under center, would be a way to kind of protect that concept because more more often than not, as the season progressed, when the Bears would throw those quick screens, corners and safeties and nickel defenders would, would try to jump it pretty quickly and get out and get out there before, like, the offensive line had a chance to pull. So um, that was one element that, that I saw as something that Nagy could add to for 2019. And there were a few concepts when you go through the book you can see – that the Bears really didn't have success with, like the uh, the scissors concept, for example. That's you know a common play throughout football. It's great against cover three, great against cover four quarters coverage. Um, you know, the Bears ran a multitude of variations, but um, you know Mitch Trubisky just wasn't comfortable reading that play throughout the season, and um, it just for whatever reason didn't work well for them. So whether they make adjustments to that or completely scrap it for 2019, you know that's that's remained to be seen. Great stuff. Now, as you know, in our private conversations, you know, I really love your book and I'm, I've been excited uh, for it ever since you told me that you are more than likely going to write it all the way back in October for the show you're rendering the bye week. Now, you did a great job now of just answering a few questions about the offense, but I wanted to go ahead and let you take a moment to explain to our listeners why they should pick up a copy for themselves. Yeah, so I wrote I wrote the book with the intention of it being kind of a, a like a manual um like a like a, a concept index for you know high school college coaches um, who are looking for ideas, looking for why things worked, why things didn't. Um, if you're if you're a fan though, and you and you know you follow football closely, I think that, I think you would be able to understand a majority of, of what's in the book as well. Um, especially if you're a Bears fan. I mean, um, if anything, it's a great keep. You know, I'm I'm a Bears fan myself. You know, I I live in the Chicagoland area. I grew up a Bears fan, so writing this book was probably my favorite project that I've that I've undertaken. So, uh, you know, as a bear as a Bears fan, I hold this one near and dear to my heart and. You know, if anything, it's a great memento for the 2018 season. You know, you can you can look back and you can say, oh, yeah, I remember when the Bears ran that and, you know, it worked, uh, you know, why it worked, why it didn't. Um, you know, and obviously all the, tr- all the trick plays are in there. You're like Oompa Loompa, Willy Wonka, Santa Slay, you know, all that good stuff. So, um, you know, if anything, you, you know, if you learn one or two things from it, you know, that's, that's great. Um, but if you're just a Bears fan looking for something to have a keepsake for the 2018 season, um, I, it, you know, I obviously highly recommend it. And uh, one thing that you know, listeners of this podcast will will uh, understand and appreciate more than uh, anybody else. Uh, is I set the price for the book on Amazon uh, for the price of 19.85, and right, I mean, right now with uh, with it being out, and you know, um, it, it's you know, it's, set, it's usually in the beginning. You know, obviously, you get a rush of, of sales in the beginning, so Amazon dropped the price. But um, you know, like they, I don't know how they how they do that or how they decide to do that, but they did. So I was a little disappointed. Uh, because, you know, the price of 1985, you know, I thought it was a little bit of a, uh, you know, a nod to the, uh, you know, one of, you know, one of the greatest teams of all time. And, you know, Bears fans can appreciate that. So I like that. Yeah. We did very something uh, similar when we had a different name for this podcast and we're selling some uh, apparel and I had t-shirts for 1922. Uh, So I like how you think. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those things that, you know, when I was, you know, go, you know, finished up with the book, I'm like, you know what, you know, this is, uh, you know, this, this makes a lot of sense, and it's a little inside joke that, you know, not joke, but, you know, it's a little inside nod that, you know, obviously Bears fans would get. You know, I'm sure most football fans would understand it too, but Bears fans would appreciate that, see that, you know, maybe chuckle at it a little bit, or I don't know. I don't even know if anybody's noticed that yet either, so who knows. You know, I did not, but as like you said, it's because Amazon decided to dip the price. So I didn't even look what it was originally, but now I'm going to look, and then I'm going to understand, and I'm going to appreciate it just for you. Yeah, there you go. Now, that's all I really do have for you today, Bobby. Again, thanks for the insight on your book. It sure sounds like something that, again, a lot of Bears fans should get a ton of value out of. I know just for 
me reading it. I've learned so much about Matt Nagy's offense just by reading it, and I love how you have it broken down um, by the different protections, the quarterback read on different concepts. You can learn a little bit more about what's going through the head of a Mitchell Trubisky in certain game situations, certain plays that way. Come next season, if there's a player or two that I want to gripe about, I can kind of go back through this book as a reference and know, well, what was he supposed to be looking for? What should he be thinking about? And kind of use that as a good uh, judgment tool. So it's really neat, and I uh, really appreciate it. And real quick for our Bears fans, if you're looking for the 2018 Chicago Bears Complete Offensive Manual on Amazon, uh, for convenience, I made a quick short link. Just go to chicagoaudible.com slash book. And then you should be able to redirect directly to the Amazon page to pick up your copy today. So, Bobby, I want to thank you again for your time uh, and for an awesome book. I really do appreciate uh, the time you took for the podcast. And, again, the great work on this, on this book. Thanks for having me on, Will. And uh, I, know, I know Bears fans will appreciate this book more than, more than most. And, uh, I was, like I said, it was, it was a fun project to do. It was probably my, definitely my, uh, the most fun I've had doing a project. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Bobby and that you grab yourself a copy of his book to learn more about last year's offense. Up next, I'll have Steve Letizia and Chris Bacher on the show to lend us their expertise and provide you with the information that you should know from this year's Combine. But first, I need to call a quick timeout and tell you about our show sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets to your favorite game online can just be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know exactly who you should trust. And that's why we're proud to partner with SeatGeek. And really, they're the way to go. What makes SeatGeek unique is that they can pull millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats that you want for a price that you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being at the event that you want to be at in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, being Bears fans just like you, we want to be where we are without SeatGeek. They have allowed us to continue to grow our brand and provide you, our listener, with some great deals throughout the years. And on top of that, SeatGeek is my personal favorite way to shop for tickets. I've used them in the past for various Bears games, other sporting events, and even some concerts as well. Because the reason why I love SeatGeek is that they're going to get me the best deal possible for the tickets that I want. Plus, they allow me to set notifications for the teams like the Bears or events that I care about the most, which is extremely convenient and useful. Plus, every ticket is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So go ahead and make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source from everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. And the best part of all is that our listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code BEARS today. That's promo code BEARS. B-E-A-R-S for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Alrighty, you're listening to the 350th episode of the Chicago Audible Podcast. I'm your host, Will DeWitt, and I'm now joined by two of our site writers, Steve Letizia and Chris Bacher, and I'm going to pick their brain about the NFL Combine that just wrapped up a couple of days ago. Fellas, I appreciate you taking the time to coming on the show. I want to know, how have you guys been? And let's go to Chris first, because I haven't heard from him in quite some time. I've been good. Um, I don't know, just kind of coming down from the high of a first good season in a while. Uh, Enjoying my time in school right now. Just, I had two tests today, actually. So just, I mean, I'm excited to be back on the podcast. What were your tests in? Uh, One was in uh, history of the Middle East and one was in biology. Which one was tougher? biology because I'm a history major so I actually felt like I was prepared for that one <laughs> that makes sense to me Steve how have you been man are you uh what it's been only a couple of weeks yeah it hasn't been too long I've been good just watching the combine watching some prospects didn't have any tests today just sat at a desk for eight hours so uh but yeah I've been good would you rather have taken those two tests Probably not. I would have failed both those tests for sure. <laughs> All right. So you guys are you guys are ready to talk about the combine. I'm just going to jump right on into just a handful plus questions that I have for the both of you. And Steve, I'm going to direct this uh, first one over to you. Of course, the Bears are in need of some depth at outside linebacker. And we've been talking about it off and on this offseason. And that need just got a little bit larger as the Bears are planning to release Sam Macho. So based off of the combine, who are a couple of prospects that intrigue you the most that may be able to fill this void? Yeah, so I wrote a, about a few of them today, so I won't go into too much detail on, on them, but Max Crosby from Eastern Michigan 
and uh, Ben Bonogu from TCU both really they both uh, did really well at the combine. Uh, good height, good weight, um, good athleticism. Um, I believe Mac. One thing I look at for edge rushers is really the three cone drill um, because I, it shows off the flexibility and the bend for the pass rushers need to go around the offensive tackles. And uh, Max Crosby was actually below a seven, which is what you want. And then uh, Bonogu was right above a seven. So those are the two guys that I really liked. Another guy um, that I was a big fan of um, kind of going in the draft, he was a little bit, a little, little bit of a sleeper of mine, was Jamal Davis from Akron. Um, I wrote about him briefly today, but I didn't go into too much detail. Uh, but he's a guy who's – you when you watch the tape, it's the athleticism is very clear. So I was kind of expecting him to do pretty well at the combine. And then when he did well at the combine, it just kind of – uh, validated what I saw on tape. So he's very raw. It'd be a seventh round flyer at best, probably, but he's a guy you can kind of draft in the seventh round and stash on your practice squad. What? A- Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Temper Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. Oh, you, Chris, do you have any outside linebackers that uh, maybe Steve hasn't brought up that are kind of on your radar at this stage of the offseason? Uh, yeah, I was going to mention Justin Hollins. He played in the Senior Bowl. He had a pretty good combine, a 4-5 second 40-yard dash. Uh, the three cone drill in 706. Um, good 20 yard shuttle, good vertical jump. He's kind of built like uh, Leonard Floyd. He's a taller, leaner um, linebacker. Uh, doesn't have the best bend, but just a traits guy that you, you might take a chance on when you have so few picks. Now let's kind of flip it to the Bears offense real quick. And Chris, I know you just go went ahead and you wrote an article earlier this week about five studs on offense uh, that you believe could be a fit on this Bears offense. But let's go ahead and start at running back because all the talk about Jordan Howard. I mean, it just came out earlier today that Adam Schefter, uh, he said that the Bears have been uh, you know, offered multiple different offers from different teams, at least talks, um, in terms of maybe trading for a Jordan Howard. So at the running back position, based off of this combine, do you have a couple of, quote, ideal prospects in mind that you wouldn't mind Ryan Pace uh, maybe scooping up in this draft to bolster that position? Well, the two guys I wrote about in my article, um, Miles Sanders and Justice Hill, were I think are probably the best fits. Um, I know Nick wrote about um, uh, David Montgomery, and I think he'd be a good fit. He just underwhelmed me a little bit as far as his testing goes. I was a little bit surprised to see just you know how rough his testing was. Um, I'm. Devin Singletary, I thought, might have been a good fit, but he's another guy who just didn't test well. Overall, this running back class, at least at the combine, was pretty underwhelming, which isn't exactly encouraging for Bears fans knowing that they might be a running back away from, you know, doing some really big things this year. I think they obviously showed they can win with a guy like Jordan Howard, but they think I think that getting a running back might put them over the top, but this might not be the draft cl- best draft class to get that in. Now, Steve, it looked like you were shaking your head here in the recording yeah. of this podcast. Uh, do you agree that this running back class is uh, underwhelming? Yeah, especially athletically. Um, I do agree that Miles Sanders would be a great fit. I'm just worried that he's he kind of te- he might have tested out of the Bears range. He might go in the second round now. Uh, but I do like him a lot. I like Justice, uh, Justice Hill as well, too. Um, but, yeah, athletically, this is not a great – uh, draft class for running backs. Uh, one guy that I liked that I'm going to keep pounding the table for, I wrote about him a couple times already, is Alexander Madison from Boise State. Um, he didn't have, he wasn't a fast in the 40. He ran a 4 6 7, 40, so obviously that's very slow. Uh, but he'd have a 1.51 10 yard split, which is actually third best among running backs. And then had a, um, did well in the broad jump and vertical jump, which shows lower body explosiveness, and then did it okay in the agility drills. And at 221 pounds, he's a bit of a bigger back. So I was actually pretty, um, Pretty um, pleased with his combine performance. I think he'd be a late round guy, another late round guy that they might be able to to, to steal late in the late in the draft. All right, I want to put both of you on the spot here again. It's the first week of March. Things can change between now and May, but as of today, if you had to choose one running back out of this year's draft class, even if it is an underwhelming class, that that who would it be? Steve, you're up first. 
If I had to choose one running back, it'd be Miles Sanders. I think. Um, I think he'd be a perfect fit with the Bears. Do he's a little bit bigger than kind of Justice Hill. I think he was like 211 pounds, something like that, which isn't huge, but he has enough size to run between the tackles. And then his lateral agility is just amazing. I think he he might be my running back too right now, and possibly even the best running back in draft. What about you, Chris? Uh, is it strictly guys from the combine? Because there was actually a guy who had a pro day today mm-hmm. from Nebraska that I think would be a pretty good running back fit, Divine Azigbo, I think is how you say his last name. I'm not exactly sure about that. But from the combine, I'm, I might just go with David Montgomery just because even though he does lack the explosion and lack the uh, long speed, it's he's a – he's a go back and watch the tape guy and you knew that he wasn't going to test very well and he still was good on tape. So I think it probably, if I had to, Miles Sanders would be my first choice, but number two is probably uh, David Montgomery, at least from the guys at the combine. All right, Steve, I want to flip it back to you and I want to kind of change perspective back to the bears defense. And let's look at secondary based off of that combine. Do you have a couple of names either at cornerback or safety that, Bears fans should be keeping their eye on. Yeah, I have a few that a few safeties that I like at least. Um, one of them is Amani Hooker from Iowa. Uh, I really liked his tape when I watched him. Very instinctive, good in zone and man coverage. My one concern about him was his athleticism because he did look a little bit stiff in some of the games that I watched. Um, but he blew away the combine. He was actually one of the more athletic players of the combine. So I have to go back and watch again to see if maybe I missed something. Um, but he's a player I really like, but you probably have to take him to the third round if you want him. Um, and then one other guy I like, he didn't test at the combine. I think, believe he was injured, uh, but Mike Edwards from Kentucky. Um, he's a, They're kind of similar players, actually. Mike Edwards might be a little bit smaller, but they can both play man and zone coverage, which I think we're going to need out of our state. You need your safeties to be, able to be able to play man coverage, especially in Pagano's defense. We know he's going to blitz a lot, so you need your safeties to be able to pick up the slack and man coverage. So those are two players I really like. What about you, Chris? Uh, as of right now, still in a new contract for Adrian Amos or Bryce Callahan. So if you're looking to fill those potential voids, uh, which way do you lean? Uh, there's a Darnell Savage from Maryland. He's just a, he actually tested pretty well too at the combine. Um, he's a little bit undersized, but just got speed. And I like his closing speed. Uh, might. He might not be available where the Bears are picking, though. He might be drafted a little bit earlier. He'll, I think you'd have to draft him in the third round for sure if you want to get him. Now let's go ahead and look at the wideout position because obviously that's not the largest need on this team by far. And even despite that fact, the Bears may still decide to use one of their picks at the position. And, Chris, I know in your offensive studs you did talk about a couple of wideouts. Do you have a couple of favorite receivers that – showed out at the combine that would be a good fit with that current squad? I think they need speed. Um, so obviously, you know, the two guys I wrote about are extremely fast. Uh, Nicole Hardman had a four, ran a four, three, three Paris Campbell ran a four, three, one. Um, I, I think if they're looking at wide receiver, I think that's what they got to be looking at first and foremost, another guy who are another couple of players that tested really well as far as their speed and it's, it's evident on tape is Terry McLaurin from Ohio State who had a really good senior bowl and then Emmanuel Hall who's just he's a natural separator uh, I've seen you know people say that you get to watch the tape and it's so evident he's just he's got really long stride I think he's 6'2 like 190 and he just it doesn't look like he's moving fast and then he's three steps behind you like, so I think if they're going to go with receiver, it's going to be that type of player, someone who can really stretch the defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, I want to go to for you next year. Is there a position, uh, either offense or defense, that really just underwhelms you from the top to the bottom this year, one that really either nobody sticks out or one that's just extremely thin? Yeah, um, definitely uh, the cornerback position for me, at least. Um, even the top guys, even the guys that the Bears don't have no chance of drafting, I don't really like that much. The the guys with good tape are slow, and the guys with bad tape are fast. So it, I don't really like anyone really at that position. I mean, there are a few guys I like. There was one guy later in the draft, Hamp Cheevers, who I like from Boston College. He is way undersized. I think he was only like 169 pounds of the combine, which is pretty wow. pretty small. Uh, but he's got great footwork. Um and he's got good coverage ability. I'm just 
he might have some struggles from some struggles adjusting at the next level because he is so small, but I do like his coverage ability. Uh, and then there was another guy, David Long from Michigan who had a good combine. I haven't really watched him much yet. So I have to actually dig into his tape, but he had a good combine. So I'll be watching him next. I hope, I hope I like him because right now I don't see really anyone in the draft who can replace Bryce Callahan if the bears decide to go that route. Do you think that can really play into that decision here for Ryan Pace? If he sees the same thing as you? Yeah, I think it has to. I mean, you, you have to plan out your off season. So you, you know, if you know, you don't have a cornerback in the draft that you like, you might want to shell out a few more extra dollars for Callahan or someone else in free agency. What about you, Chris? Uh, is there any other position that underwhelmed you as much as corner underwhelmed Steve? I'm a, I'd have to echo what Steve said. Um, you know, I one position that there wasn't a just a ton of athletes at that I think uh, fit well. Athletes fit well uh, with this offense is offensive line. Um, I like our the twenty yard shuttle is a great drill to look at. Um, for instance, uh, James Daniels ran a 4-4 last year, and there was only one um, lineman who even t- remotely touched that territory, and he'll be gone long before the Bears pick. So athletically, I wasn't very impressed with the offensive line. Well, that's a perfect segue to my next question here. Uh, and I'll go right back to you, Chris, to kick it off. Obviously, the offensive line, the starting five, they're locked up for the foreseeable future. And I, But I still think that finding that eventual replacement for Kyle Long is not off the table in this year's draft. Do you see anyone currently who kind of fits that bill that would be available in the Bears draft? Uh, Eric McCoy, he might. He See, he's one of the few that did test well, but I, I think he'll be off before the Bears are picking um he didn't test great in the agility drills but that's not always indicative of how good an offensive lineman can be um i think they're gonna have to scour the late round um boards i just like i said it's not a very deep class and when your first pick is in the third round you know offensive line isn't somewhere where you want to reach we saw that with jordan morgan um they took a guy with broth skills and sometimes it just doesn't manifest absolutely what about you steve do you have any other offensive linemen that are on your short list for like the kyle long replacement yeah one of the guys i did have written down was that eric mccoy um but i I do agree with chris i think he'll probably be gone before the bears pick but i think he'd be a good fit because he is a little bit more athletic guard uh, guard slash center um and then the other guy i wrote down who also might be gone when the bears pick uh, is Chris Lindstrom from Boston College. Uh, he's a, He ran a 4 or 5, 4 in the co- three-cone drill, so not as athletic as James Daniels, but pretty athletic in his own right. Uh, ran a sub-540, so I like him a lot as well. Um, again, both those guys might be gone when the Bears pick. I actually like the developmental offensive tackles more than I like the in- interior offensive linemen, um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, if the Bears go that route to kind of groom someone to take over for Bobby Massey in a few years. Wow. No confidence in Rashad Coward, Steve. <laughs> Not yet. I got to see a little bit more. Fair enough. Now, Steve, you also... go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Oh, I was just going to say, I will say that I think um, I, when I was, when I first uh, saw that the bears hired Nagy, I was thinking that they were going to do a lot of zone. And then I noticed last year that they were running a lot of power and pulling guards and stuff. So I think it's kind of changed the profile uh, for what they're looking for. And so there are guys, you know, that, would fit that one interesting player who actually played for Harry Heastan is Alex Bars. I think he tore his, I want to say he tore his ACL, but he was still at the combine. Um, that'd be an interesting fit uh, just because he did play for Harry Heastan. And I think he'd be available, available maybe the fourth or fifth round. So it's another interesting name. Yeah, no, that's definitely one to keep in mind. Obviously when you have a connection to any coach on staff, that definitely helps your chances as long as there's a favorable uh, memory <laughs> that Harry has on that player. But Steve, going back to your article today on defensive line, uh, well, defensive players, uh, and again, you can stick with defense, but I'll even open up this question for an offensive name or two. Uh, do you have any quote-unquote like biggest losers or duds last from last week? Is someone that really disappointed you that you really thought would you know score much higher? Yeah, well, I have, I have two guys that I, I don't know if I thought they were going to be elite athletes, um, but they had terrible combines. And it was two guys that I really liked their tape too, which was super frustrating. But one of them was Mike Bell 
from Fresno State, the safety. I wrote about him a little, little bit uh, today. He's a bigger safety. He was like 6'3", 210 pounds. So, I like again, I didn't expect him to be an elite athlete, but he ran a 4.83 in the 40, and there's just no precedent for a 4.83 40 safety ever um, contributing in the NFL. So, And he was pretty much um, below average across the board. And the other guy was Elijah Holyfield from Georgia, the running back. Ran a four seven eight forty. It again didn't expect him to be a burner, but four seven eight is just outrageously slow. And then he was also below average in vertical and broad jump. So and he didn't look good in the drills either. He was dropping passes. Yeah, I was super disappointed in both those guys. Now, do you guys have a couple of players that maybe you didn't know a lot about before the combine that impressed you enough that you want to go ahead and take a deeper look into? And Chris, I'll go ahead and uh, kick it over to you first. Um, Alex Barnes, he tested really well. He's a running back from Kansas State, and uh, he's six foot two twenty, I want to say, and he's run ran a four five nine, which is not great, but pretty good for that size. Um, bench press set a record for true running backs. Jumped out of the building almost thirty nine inch vertical. Um, was up there with broad jump three cone. Uh, was really good for his size. He just, he tested really well in every category. And I hadn't really, I mean, I heard of him, but it's not like his numbers were. Does a robot know you like a neighbor? Insurance Corporation will fulfill requests to cover anyone, anything, anytime, anywhere, with most standard algorithm in the order it was received. Please hold. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting the insurance coverage you need always starts with a conversation. Find a Farm Bureau agent at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. Popping off the, the box score. So he's definitely someone I want to take a deeper look at. What about you, Steve? Obviously, this question came from your article because there were a few players that you mentioned directly in it that you're like, I need to look a little bit more at their tape now. So I'm just curious, are there any of those players for you? Yeah, well, Alex Barnes was one. I wrote him down. Um, I did watch one of his games, and spoiler, Chris, it's not very good. So sorry about that. <laughs> um, but uh, the other guy I had was um, one of uh, Mark Fields from Clemson, the cornerback. So I mentioned I'd not. I don't think it's a very good cornerback class. So I'm hoping I, when I watch his tape, I see something good because he did run a four three seven and eight um, and did have eighteen bench press reps. He didn't do any of the other drills, but a four three seven. I'm at least gonna look that guy up so I did look up his just his stats quickly and he didn't play much for Clemson so I'm not sure really what the issue is there so I have to look into him and the other guy uh was Ryan Bates uh from Penn State he's an interior offensive lineman um he had a pretty good combine I liked his agility drills um he had good size so I'm, I'm gonna look him up after this all right yes directly after this podcast yes not, not a moment to spare yeah all right, so again, a lot of it, what I've heard from you guys in terms of the answers is some of these guys may have tested their way out of the Bears' range. A few may be available. So I'm curious of your overall assessment of the, the mid to late round talent so far this year because obviously the Bears do not have a pick until round three. So with all of that that you've taken in, do you believe that Ryan Pace will still be able to find that few quality of players uh, in this year's draft to really help fill in some of these voids on this team and I'll go ahead and begin with Steve. Um, yeah, I mean, there are guys that they'll be able to get a start in the third round most likely, but I do think this is a weak class overall. It's definitely not as strong as last year, in my opinion. Um, so they might only be able to get one starter out of this draft uh, at best. Um, so the, I, but they'll be able to get a running back um, probably in the third or fourth and maybe one other position, but overall I think it's a weak class. I, I'm not holding out too much hope for too many impact talent coming in. What about you, Chris? I tend to agree. I think uh, the Bears are in a unique position because the positions that they do need, running back, safety, slot cornerback, are, well, just look at where their starters were last year. Fifth round, Jordan Howard. Uh, fifth round, Adrian Amos. Undrafted free agent, uh, Bryce Callahan. So I think that's the unique position that they're in is the spots where they have free agents. Um that are going to hit the market or they have, you know, a guy who may not be the best fit in Matt Nagy's offense. Th those are the spots that are available in the mid rounds, but on the whole, I would agree with Steve. It's not like this uh, draft class is drooping with talent. Um, but I think, you know, guys like justice Hill will probably be available in the 
third or fourth round. I definitely the third round, but I would think even the fourth round um, who could be a good fit. Uh, and I think Alex Barnes will be there if they do like his tape. Uh, unfortunately, Steve doesn't. I don't know. I've, I've watched a little bit of him. I watched a lot. He, he was underwhelming. I would have to, I'd have to say the one game that I watched him too. Um, but I think Ryan Pace has shown a knack for finding talent in the, in the fifth round, third, fourth, and fifth round. So um, he's, there's a reason he's got that job and, but I think it's going to be tougher than most years. All right, guys, to wrap things up, do you have any other combine notes or takeaways that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, Chris, go ahead and begin. Um, I'm just going to say, you know, a guy who was injured that I think could be a fit. Um, he actually had a down year, but Bryce Love, um, just hearing what Matt Nagy wants, he wants a guy who hits the whole fastball. There's not a guy who hits the whole faster than Bryce Love. And he gets like this rep uh, as you know, someone who was running behind this elite offensive line in college, just because Stanford had had, has had kind of a tradition with that. But I looked at the, at some advanced statistics and I've watched his games and I don't think he was running behind anything special. I don't, I'm not even sure if they've even had an NFL offensive lineman um, in his time there. So he's an interesting name to keep an eye out for. He said he'd be ready for training camp. So he could be available in the, fifth or uh, they don't have a sixth round pick but it could be available in the fifth round maybe a sleeper there all right how about you steve yeah i kind of talked about all the people i wanted to talk about i just want to say like if you're looking at combine stats don't focus too much just on the 40 yard dash um especially for like the running back position you can be a little slower and still well in the nfl um the Agility drills are more important, in my opinion, for most positions. So I just want to mention that. And also, um, don't count it twice. So if you know a guy is going to be fast and he runs fast, don't overreact to that. Or if you know a guy's going to be slow and then he runs slow, don't overreact to that. Trust the tape and just, uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Some good advice. I like it. Thanks, guys, for hopping on today. That just about does it. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. I hope that you found all of the information of value. Don't forget to head over to our blog if you want to read Steve and Chris's articles on the Combine. Plus, we have a lot more going on over there by our entire writing staff, so make sure to give them some support on our site, chicagoaudible.com. And don't forget to pick up your copy of Robert Peters' book, the 2018 Chicago Bears Complete Offensive Manual. It's available on Amazon today. You can quickly find it at chicagoaudible.com slash book. We'll talk to you all in just a few short days as Nick, Brandon, and myself will provide you with our annual free agency preview show this Monday. But until then, have a great weekend. And of course, bear down, Chicago. How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com protect. It's your future. Let's protect it.